God wants to have a relationship with us. One of the ways this relationship is maintained is through an open line of communication, namely prayer. Our prayers provide a context for us to express ourselves to God and also an opportunity to be molded into the image of Jesus the Christ. Hi, I'm Femi Asabin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. Our sermon, Relating to God Through Prayer, we will work through Jesus' teachings on prayer in Matthew 6, 5-15, through 15, a section in the Sermon on the Mount which contains the Lord's Prayer. This sermon's intent is to have us contemplate how we are relating to God through our prayers and hopefully utilize those opportunities to strengthen our relationship with God and be the Christian that he is trying to call us to be in his son, Jesus Christ. God created people with the need to have relationships demonstrated in Adam and Eve. Adam had named all the animals and he saw that there was none like him and then God put him to sleep. And in the very first thing that Adam does in scripture is when he sees Eve, he recites poetry. The first poet. <laughs> she must have been a sight to behold. But in seeing Eve, Adam recognized that there was something worth spending his time getting to know on a more intimate level. God also shows that desire that he has to have relationship with people Later on in that story of the garden, when he comes down to the garden and he's looking for Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And then he demonstrates the depth of that desire to have a relationship with his creation by coming in the form of Jesus Christ, living amongst us, dying so that we can come back to him and live with him eternally. A major part of keeping that relationship intact is having an open line of communication. As demonstrated with Adam and Eve, if two people are intertwined and they feel a connection, they can actually lead each other to destruction in their relationship. But we see with God that he desires us to have a better relationship and he gives us this avenue to communicate to him, which is prayer. We talk to God. We tell God the desires of our heart. And we seek God's direction in our lives through prayer. But if we're honest, we recognize that sometimes our prayer life, we struggle in it. We fall into lapses of not praying. We fall into moments to where our prayer is just going through the motions. And we realize in those times to where our prayers are not where God would have it to be, that it sometimes impacts our walk. But this does not have to be the case. 
as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, we have come to a part to where Jesus is talking about prayer. And to complicate the matter, he informs us that there are wrong types of prayers that we shouldn't participate in. You see, sometimes we just say, pray about it. But it makes no difference if we're not praying the way in which God wants us to. And so how does Jesus inform us that we should pray correctly? Well, let's look at Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. And let's start at the fifth verse. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you that they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you're praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Prayer. Now, last week, we already looked at the hypocritical and the vain prayers that Jesus told us not to do. So we're not going to really rehash that. But I just want to put it on our minds again that those are the two types, the two ways to pray that Jesus says do not do. Don't go and pray if your heart's not in it. Don't go and pray in public, just so you could be seen by man. Don't go and pray using these long, flowery words just that you think will get God on your side because it's not going to work. And the sad part is, those are a lot of the prayers that we see given. We're at a time in this country where there's a lot of turmoil. And we see that there's a lot of people who would consider themselves religious leaders who are wanting to jump out in front of the cameras and pray. What did he say? Don't go out and pray on the street corners and in the synagogues so that people can see you. You have your reward. There are some times when we see people just saying these long phrases that we know mean nothing. But it sounds good. It's almost like when we hear a young boy telling a girl a bunch of sweet nothings, we know the only thing that is good for is creating hot air. It sounds good, but nobody believes it. 
And Jesus says, don't pray like that. And what he says is, if you really want to pray, go to your closet and pray. And your father who hears you in secret will reward you. So that's where we should spend the majority of our times in prayers in secret. Because we recognize that there's going to be times when we do pray in front of people, we do pray with others, and that we can pray with our heart and sincerity, and that we can give God glory and praise through our prayers, and he hears it, because that's what he wants. But what Jesus demonstrates to us also is maybe a way, a methodology in which we can pray. And we know that this is not the exact words that Christ is looking for. Because if we just memorize the Lord's Prayer and we just go and recite that every time we pray, then that becomes vain. It's almost like some of those prayers that we're taught as a little kid. We just say them because we're told we need to pray. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep and if I to die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. It sounds good, but a lot of times the heart's not in it. And so, what we have here is demonstrated the content of prayers in a way in which we probably could emulate when we beseech God in prayer. But before we look at that prayer, there's something interesting about the location and the content of this prayer. Because when you look at it a little closer, you see that what Jesus is actually praying for in his prayer, he has been preaching or will preach about in this Sermon of the Mount. Praying that God brings about his will on earth as it is in heaven. That's the righteousness that he talks about. Do the things and the beatitudes for your heavenly reward, not for what you will get on earth, but what is going to transpire in heaven is brought down to you because God's given it to you because you are really seeking him with your heart, with your mind, with your actions, and it's being demonstrated through your life. So that you're showing yourself worthy of this eternal reward that he wants to give you. This dependency on God that is that is mentioned. Do not bring us to trials, but rescue us from the evil one. If you're persecuted for the sake of Christ, you will be rewarded. You see, in persecutions, we don't. Seek our own vengeance. We will let God render it for us. Living righteously. We touched upon that. Forgiving others of their debts so that we can be forgiven. These are the things that God is asking us to do and the things that Jesus is demonstrating all throughout this sermon that when you hear it, it's the very content of your prayers. 
And I think that's because the very things that God wants, the very thing that Christ teaches, we cannot do separate and apart from God's help. The aid of the Holy Spirit has to motivate us, has to direct our paths to do the very things that God wants us to do. And as we look at this prayer, we see that it highlights an intimacy with God that he desires. You know, sometimes we recognize that we are sinful beings and that we have not lived up to our calling. But what Jesus says is, pray our father in heaven. You see, that's the depth of relationship that God's children have with him, that when we beseech him in our corner, in our in our closets, that we have the assurance that we're going to one who has created us, who loves us, that is our very father. And it's not as if we're trying to beseech Someone, something that we have no relationship, no connection to. But we're actually seeking our father in heaven who created us. And in seeking him, we reverence his name. And the distance between heaven and earth is not too great for him to act nor hear us because God wants to be a part of our lives and he can overcome any obstacle if we attune our heart to him. And sometimes those obstacles are ourselves because we think we have gone to a point to where God can't reach. And all throughout the Gospels, especially in the healing sections, one thing that Jesus recognizes is that the level of faith determines to some extent the receiving of the miracle. At one point, a father asks him, heal my son. And Jesus says, do you believe that I can do this? He says, I believe, help me with my unbelief. And that's what we need. When we go to God in prayer, there's a a level of belief that we have, but we must understand that it can get deeper. And when we do lack faith, we have to realize that that's our father that we're going to. Now, I'm not sure the relationship that any of us have had with our father. But I, I can speak from the vantage point of a father. You love your kids. And no matter how they feel about it, no matter how you demonstrate that at times, that love that you have for them is deep. And because we're humans, we might not be able to demonstrate and we might not be able to to, to show it to the child or to the ones that we love the way that they need to receive it. But we know that God loves us deeper than any earthly father loves his child. So we can be assured that when we were baptized into Christ, that the intimacy that we have with God was established through receiving of the Holy Spirit. And this prayer that we pray to him will be heard because he desires to have a relationship with us. And prayer is one way where we build on that. We're communicating with God through 
pouring out our hearts to him, talking to him about what's going on. But there's something that we must realize in going to God in our prayers is that our prayers are more for us and not for God. Because what does Jesus say? If you back up to verse number eight in chapter six of Matthew, it says, don't be like them referring to the Gentiles. Why? Because your father knows what you need before you ask of him. So when we're praying to God, we're not giving him any new information. We're just being open and honest with him about what we feel, what we're going through, what we understand about the situation or our needs at that time. And to do that takes a level of faith, takes a level of trust that God wants us to have so that we understand that he really is giving us what's best for us and he's taking care of our needs and we recognize that and what he really wants us to do is open our hearts because if you go to a person and you're honest and you're open with them and you tell them what they need tell them what you need What you have done is you have shown a level of intimacy with them. You have shown a level of trust that they can resonate with, even if they already know. Many of us have interacted with children, and sometimes we know that a child needs something, wants something, has done something, and all we want for them is to admit it. We already have the answer. We already have the solution. We already know what we're going to do for them. We're just waiting for them to show transparency in a relationship. To teach them to learn to trust us. To teach them to, that we are going to be there through whatever it is that they're going through. Good, bad, or ugly, or indifferent. But they have to... Be assured of that and be willing to be open. And that's what God is That's what Jesus is telling us God wants in our prayers. He knows what we need. We can't hide it from him. How do we know this? Because on the day of judgment, he's going to examine our hearts. So he, he knows we're not keeping anything from him or revealing anything to him. So we might as well be honest in our prayers. And the beautiful thing about it is when we are honest with God in our prayers, when we're in our closets, we don't have to worry about anybody else hearing. And we can get a lot of that stuff off of our chest that eats up at us. We can relieve some of these anxieties from holding dare I say, some of our darkness in that we feel ashamed to bring to God because we don't want him to see us as we are. But he already sees us as we are. And so we probably would do better. Because when we get to that point in being open with God, what we really realize is that our wills will start to align with God's. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, a lot of times people haven't matured to the point to where they're asking God for help to understand, to do his will in their lives. What we're asking for a lot when we go to 
pray is, God, do this for me. And then we leave it there. God, help me with this for selfish desires. But when we say, God, let your will be done in my life. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and help me to see that. What we're actually starting to do is we're starting to look past our lives into the eternal life that we're going to have with God. It's almost like the Beatitudes. It's like the man who builds his house upon the rock. You're anticipating hard times now in the present, trusting doing what God says do, knowing that later you will be kept safe. You will receive everything that God has desired for you because you have been obedient. And it's not dependent upon what you want, but what God wants for you. And that takes a mind switch, repentance of heart, aligning your wills with God's because we can't see the end. And when we're looking at the present, we have hopes and desires that we want that may or may not align with what God wants for us. And unless we learn to switch our focus, we'll be stuck trying to get our will done, missing out on the eternal gift of heaven. There's also... Something else that's quite interesting in there is that Jesus recognizes that we have to be careful. And he says, do not bring us to the time of trial in this translation, but don't lead us into temptations. And I don't think that he's saying that God is going to lead us into temptations. What I think that he's touching upon is this concept of these false notions of prayer to where you got the hypocrite praying, where you have the Gentile praying, the pagan praying, and using all of these flowery words, using these vain prayers, all for showmanship that appears to be righteous, that appears to be pious that makes a person think they're following God. And what does he say? Rescue us from the evil one. So I think what Jesus is saying is, so mold us that we are not doing these vain acts of prayer, these vain acts of worship. We're not doing these things that look like they're what you want, but touch us and control us so to the point that we are following you and we're keeping ourselves from evil, even when that evil on the outward appears to be right. I'm not giving and blowing a trumpet. I'm not fasting and letting everybody know that I'm fasting. I'm not praying and everybody hears it. I'm not doing these worthless acts of righteousness. I'm not being hypocritical. I'm not like the Pharisees who do things just to look religious, just to get man's praise. And the only one who knows that I'm not right is God. Keep me from evil. Don't lead me down temptation by thinking that my righteous is actually right when it's in vain. Guide me to the depth of discipleship that you want 
to the level of obedience that you desire in my life and draw me away from these things that mean nothing but might look good. And the last point that I think jumps out in this prayer is about forgiveness. It's, it's something that is, is, is easy to overlook and something that we might take for granted. And, and Jesus tells us specifically in our prayers, we ask that our debts are forgiven as we have forgiven those who are indebted to us. But Jesus is not finished with it right there because after he finishes modeling the prayer, what does he say? If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your father forgive you your trespasses. And so it makes a person pause and think about the depth of forgiveness. Because we recognize that we can be blessed by God and still condemned. Because in one passage in the Sermon on the Mount, what does Jesus say? He says, if you have an enemy, what are you supposed to do? You pray for them. Why? So that you may be children of your father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. What is he saying? That God's blessings fall on good and bad people. And sometimes those who are blessed are not children of God. So we don't ever want to think that just because God blesses us is a sign that we're doing the right thing. Because we learned that in one parable, I want to say that's around Matthew 18, that Jesus says there was a rich man who had a servant and he owed him a large sum of money, a sum that he would never be able to pay back in his lifetime. And this person came and the servant Weeped for forgiveness and he received it. But this servant had a peer who owed him. It's a fraction because it's a piece of, but it was less than a fraction of a fraction of what he was forgiven. And he demanded payment from his fellow servant. And what happened? When the master heard of his servant's wickedness, he punished him. So there's something to be said about forgiveness that we don't want to overlook, especially in regards to our prayers. Because Jesus takes the time to highlight this point in the Lord's prayer. And he says the measure in which we forgive, we will be forgiven. And if God's going to forgive us of our sin and give us heaven, whatever a person has done to trespass against us on this earth is not worth holding on to. 
And this also teaches us that there's an impact on our actions with our relationship with God, even when those actions are towards another. So we must be careful that we're not belittling the blessings that God has given us, trying to maintain whatever it is on earth that we feel that man owes us. Because our forgiveness is not so much for the other person's sake. It's for the sake of our faith. Because if you do something solely because you were instructed by Jesus, then that shows that you trust his words. And that faith will be rewarded. So that tells us, when we go pray, make sure we're forgiving those whom we feel has offended us. Because we might receive a blessing from God, but that doesn't mean that we're always in God's approval. Because he makes his rain rain on the just and the unjust, and his sun shines on the just and the unjust. Because he loves us all, but he has a standard. There's stipulations involved in that. So what can we take away from this Lord's Prayer, as it's called? We've learned many lessons over the years. But a few things I want us to consider is when we go pray, we ought to recognize that there's a right way and a wrong way to pray. And we don't want to just go through the motions when we pray. We don't want to we don't want to offend God. By our prayers. What we want to do is actually build a relationship with God, grow closer to God. And so learn his will that we start praying for things that God wants and ask him to empower us to do it. Now, that takes a shifting of focus. That takes a reallocation of where you want your treasures and that takes faith but if we don't learn to pray right we'll be like the hypocrites we'll be like the pagans it'll be pharisaical and all that means is we'll just be going through the motions and it'll have no benefit on our spirituality. Matter of fact, it will actually hurt us and lead us down a path away from God while we're pretending to do something that we profess draws us closer. So when you pray, go to your closet. Pray to God in private. Be honest. Ask God what is his will for your life. And ask him for the strength to live it out. So that you will be what God wants you to be.
And if you really have something that you want from God, something that you're struggling with, something that you haven't told anybody, tell God. Because he already knows. But what he wants you to do is to draw closer to him and so trust him that you're open with the desires of your heart. Think of Jesus. When he's in Gethsemane, he knew why he came to this earth. And it anguished him the cross he had to bear as he was preparing to go to Calvary's mountain and sit there on that crucifix and die for our sins. He knew the expectation from God, and yet he still was open enough to tell God that I don't want to do this. That takes humility. And if Christ can show that moment of humanity in his walk, being that he was fully God and fully man, we should be able to as well. Because we struggle sometimes with what God asks us to do. We struggle with being who God wants us to be. And he knows this. And he can take it. Because he can strengthen us. So pray the right way. And your prayers will be answered. And utilize your prayers to grow closer to God. So that you can learn and do his will. But we should know that as we're praying to God to act in our lives, we should be forgiving others as we seek the forgiveness that God wants to give us. And that our lives, our actions impact our relationship with God. Because if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. There's a passage in Peter that says, husbands, be careful how you treat your wives because your prayers can be hindered by it. There was a a Pharisee and a sinner at the wall, both praying to God. And the Pharisee, he had pride and he said, I'm glad I'm not like this man. I do all these religious things and he over here can't even lift his head to look at you. And the sinner was saying, God, forgive me. Have mercy on me. You see, one of them was humble. And the other had a heart full of pride. And their actions, both of their actions impacted God hearing their prayers. Peter says the actions of the husband impacts God hearing the prayers. Jesus shows us that the actions of our lives impact the actions of God, especially in prayer. So we must be mindful of what we are doing. We must be mindful of our motivation for doing it because our actions impact our relationship with God and we can appear to do something right and nobody knows except for God and us and what will happen is we will lose out on salvation 
Now, do I believe that everything I said applies to everyone in this room? I don't know. Only God knows our hearts. But what I do know is that God desires to have those hearts. And that God is each and every person in here's father. And that we have access to him. 24 hours a day. And that's what he wants. So let's utilize our prayers as Christ teaches us to help us. And as we saw in Thessalonians, let's pray for each other. Because God cares. God loves. And when we pray for the things of God, his will will be done on heaven as it is in earth. I'm not sure where that leaves you, but I was hoping to encourage you to put some thoughts in your mind about your prayer life. I know that it goes up and down at times and that sometimes we're prayer warriors and sometimes we're scared to pray. But we have a God who is consistent through all of that who's waiting to meet us in our prayers if we're willing to meet him there. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.